0: Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 18th of September 2017. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse. Good evening, Joe. Phelan. Good morning, Joe. And Ike. Good afternoon, Joe. It's one of those who knows which. So we finally got a full house again. Phelan is back after his many adventures. And the fact that there's all KDE bollocks first up in the news is proof that he's back. So what's going on with all these exciting developments?
1: Lots. Lots is going on. Um Recently, it's been the Randa um, meetup, which they've been working on accessibility, mountains of stuff and apps. Uh, they've been getting ready for Wayland even more. Just getting everybody together, meet up in the mountains in Switzerland, and I imagine eat lots of cheese and code. It just sounds like a delight stuck in a cabin in the mountains like that. But yes, on they go.
2: So is this solely for uh, KDE Plasma on the desktop, or KDE Plasma on the the mobile as well, or just anything with the KDE in the brand?
1: It's been a mix. Um, They've been working a lot on uh, Kirigami as well, which is a framework to help get stuff onto the phones and stuff. So there's been things like Marble, They've been working hard on that to improve that
2: that for the the uninitiated who isn't using their kd phone at this very moment is the uh the, the mapping application
1: oh the bitterness <laughs> yes i too am not using my kd phone and i'm not even using it on my android phone in fact one complaint of this is the fact that they've got things like k stars and marble into um what's the google one called where they have apps play store yes so they've got them in there but uh you can't get them on Droid, which is really bizarre as i would have thought that wouldn't have been a big issue but i imagine they're probably using some sort of google service for some of the data sharing or something uh, at least I know K Stars, that was one of the reasons
2: yeah i was on Droid the other day and the firefox um implementation that you and i use joe isn't called firefox fast or whatever. it's focus focus thank you it's it's called, like, Ilda or something weird. I, I couldn't understand why they wouldn't just use the brand. It's got the same logo and all that kind of stuff. It all works the same.
1: They probably had to modify it so they could take out the stuff that Firefox thought they just couldn't do without the uh, stat stuff. And once they did
0: that, it wouldn't be valid to like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right, so speaking of KDE, last time we spoke about the new Purism phone that is no doubt getting you excited, failing the... Not excited
1: enough to spend all that money on potential vaporware, <laughs> but
0: yeah. So this is the Librem 5, um, and it was supposed to be shipping with GNOME, and now it looks like it's going to ship with Plasma Mobile.
1: Yeah, because they've clearly seen the light. All of those phones that they've tried to build that are based on GTK that have never worked, <laughs> spot the common thread. To be fair, it's not really GTK, because GNOME
3: Shell doesn't use GTK at all. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah
3: no you shouldn't use it on a <laughs> involving
1: gtk <laughs> then fine <laughs> but you, you shouldn't use it on a phone yeah they're quite right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no this is interesting this is really good like i'm i'd be well keen on this I, if i literally hadn't just got a new phone last year and i am not the type of person who will buy a phone just for sake of getting the latest shiny if i hadn't been or in the market for online i would i would have potentially pitched into it i don't know it is a big risk though and they have delivered the last one so yeah i don't know but yeah i would love if this works be fantastic
2: but on the crowdfunding page did did, uh, purism actually note the distribution or the operating system they're going to use on their phone because it seems like a an odd thing to come out quite late in the day and say we're talking to kde or is kde going to be an alternative
0: it looks like gnome is going to be the alternative because you've got KDE, by the looks of things, Plasma Mobile as the default, I think, but that's the whole problem I have with this, is that it's just too up in the air, there's no specs for the phone, and they just seem to be chopping and changing, and just don't seem to have their shit together.
1: That'll be grand. <laughs> just give them the money, I want you to invest in it.
2: <laughs> but when you say there's no specs for the phone, but in the, the announcement that came out, it sort of said that the KDE team now had specific hardware to target, which... Which implies that you know the guys at Libra must have some idea or have a, a good idea as to what they're putting in it. And if if the phone isn't quite finalised and the KD software isn't quite finalised, it seems like the right time for them to come together and say, "Okay, let's really focus this in one place. Let's really focus the phone hardware and the software to get to this one place together." And I don't know if you have uh, like certain friends who are always chasing the cool thing and they never quite get to the cool thing because they're always one step behind. And there's another friend who just does what they like. And eventually it just turns out that by pure fluke, the world turns around and the thing they're doing is what is in the right place at the right time. And it feels like that's kind of where KD is. They were making this phone operating system without any real specific target. You know, they were doing it because it was a good idea. They wanted to make a free and open source phone alternative and they, they had no real... End goal, as far as I could see, apart from to make a phone off. and now this phone's come along and this is so they sort of married up together. Yeah,
1: well, if you think about it, though, Aaron Saigo invested over a hundred grand of his own money, I think it was over a hundred grand of his own money to try build a tablet back a few years ago. I remember even the though one, yep. go down in flames. He obviously tried quite hard to get that going, and they, they did work on this stuff kind of in that aim, the fact that they realized, well, look, it's going to go mobile by the looks of it. So, you know, better to have everything set up and ready to go beforehand, even if you're not using it.
0: At least you can switch it on fairly quickly if you do. Well, I do want it to happen, but I'm not going to back it. Yeah. So <laughs> that's. I think that's a lot of people. We
1: just need to get some other suckers that'll do it for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And hopefully it won't be one of these crowdfunders where it's a certain amount. If you back it in the crowd funder and then twice that, if you buy it from Amazon after it's funded. Yeah.
3: I mean, we haven't asked the most important question here, I think. I mean, yeah, we, we've dealt with the issue of spikes and, you know, what software is going to be on it. Will it have a torchlight app?
1: It'll have a <laughs> clock.
3: Yeah, that's not <laughs> going to penetrate the market.
1: <laughs> How about a
0: torch-like clock it no. Could shine no, no. the numbers on the screen or the wall. <laughs> How about instead of any buttons, you just look at it and it scans your face and then unlocks. Is that out of fear or because it needs to? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, imagine if you had like no bezels as well on it. That'd be the best phone ever. You could charge like a thousand pounds for it.
3: Well, let's let's use a reliable currency
0: first. Um, <laughs> well, thousand thousand dollars. Uh... Well, anyway, enough of that nonsense, let's talk more about phones, though, and talk about Replicant. Now, Replicant is something that you have tried out in the past, Falem. It is a totally free and open source, no, sorry, totally free version of Android, or it certainly aims to be that, with no blobs and no proprietary bullshit in it. And as a result of that, it only supports, or only supported a few phones, and is based on quite an old release of Android but now they've expanded the number of phones that they are targeting up to 12. Ooh, well, 12 devices anyway, Uh, which is sort of double the number of before. And one of them is interesting to me in that it is the Galaxy S3, which is a phone that you have, Jesse. So I don't know if it supported it before, but now I'm telling you about it. Your homework is to go away and flash it and come back and tell us how you got on.
2: Oh, dokie i can do that yeah the s3 is uh in my have you done it yet no not yet <laughs> i wouldn't tarnish the download speed of my internet whilst recording of course um i yeah it's in the drawer of things that might be useful in the future and the s3 has saved me a number of times because it's still a great you know when you buy a flagship phone it sort of lasts the test of time so um yeah i can i can flash that on there i think we've do I have a memory that we looked at it on an old podcast?
0: No, never Replicant. I've I've never had a device that it supports. Because the latest Nexus is, I think, the Galaxy Nexus or something. Or maybe the Nexus S, I don't know. It was pre-my Nexus buying anyway. It doesn't support the Nexus 4. So, But, Phelim, you've kind of played with it a bit, haven't you? Was that with an S3?
1: No, because I didn't actually have a phone for Replicant back in the day because it was only supporting a S2, I think, and a... One of the Nexuses, as you say. Is it Nexi? Whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I actually never had replicant. I could never get that on. I was I was good at it because I would actually give it a shot. But um the really annoying part was the fact that nothing on the particular phone that I was looking at buying actually would have worked. So I would have had a Wi-Fi browsing device essentially no actually i'm not even sure if i had wi-fi enabled (laughs) yeah i really don't know what the phone would have done because literally nothing would have worked on it and that's the real problem with it it's we just need this is why i like the idea of what the um you know uh, if you want to have wi-fi network and they have to have it closed source then fine but have it so it's a completely exterior device to the phone not physically outside the case of the phone but disconnected from the wires essentially like if you were to plug in a modem through a usb port have it that sort of separate
0: yeah oh you mean um like 4g or whatever not wi-fi yeah Yeah, yeah, that's that's what i meant yeah
1: well potentially even the wi-fi chip too because if you're in the states i don't think you can have an open wi-fi chip as far as i know um because that is also fcc controlled so anything that broadcasts are um that is uh got to be closed and if that's the case, then you don't, you can't trust it. You you sure, certainly shouldn't have it like able to access the memory on the phone and switch things off and on. I mean that's ridiculous. Um, there should be no route for that to do it. You should be firewalled off as external network devices. But
0: yeah, what happened to your S three that you smashed the screen of? Have you still got it? Ah, <sighs> yeah,
1: I guess technically I
0: do still have it. Do you know what? Does it actually work, or is it like dangerously? smashed
1: i don't know how dangerous it is i you know it's like this is not the first time that i've regretted the fact that it got damaged because also for lineage it was like one of the first to get an image up and running. It's like, I don't know how many people must have the S3. It's clearly very popular, and it's yeah. really irritating.
0: <laughs> well, you should dig it out and have a go, see if it works, and it'd be good to have both of you talk about it. Um, With splinters
1: of glass in my finger. <laughs>
0: I'll just get a screen protector and stick that on top. That's what I did for a smashed screen. You once. can
1: only do that once, as then you try and peel it back off. It's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, th-
0: exactly.
2: I thought this was going to be quite a modern Android, and I looked up, because they talked about Lineage OS, and uh, I've just looked up Lineage OS 13, and they're talking about Lineage OS four. and that was eight months ago, and 14 isn't even 0. 15, Lineage OS 15 is Android O, so they're yeah. two Androids ago. So it's not... I think it's 6, isn't it? It's uh, Yeah, Replicant yeah, it's... is
3: based on 6, and it's taken fixes back from Lineage OS 13.0. And from what I've seen, it doesn't have 3D graphics support on any of the supported devices.
0: Who needs 3D?
3: Me! And my phone's not listed. I'm quite sad. <laughs>
0: what What do you need 3D for on a phone?
1: Just because. He puts it in his Google Cardboard and pretends he's controlling his giant soulless computer back at home <laughs> yeah. like from hackers. No, it, it shows
3: for pretty much all devices. I don't see a single fully supported device there. Is that why you patch the
1: password prompt in Solus to only be three characters long? <laughs> <laughs> how did you know
3: yeah
0: well that's that's why i want to hear someone i mean if any audience members have tried it out i'd love to know what it's actually like because i just don't have a supported device and i'm not going to buy one for the sake of it so if someone wants to donate me an old s3 then uh let me know if you're in london or whatever you're such a scrounger (laughs) (laughs) well yeah there's got to be some perks to doing this
2: (laughs) he was giving away hardware last show so it's, it's fair to ask However, yeah, we move on to Joe's other top favorite topic, which is smartwatches. Yes, Asteroid OS, which I
0: was part of the reason why I bought my Sony smartwatch 3 to check it out, and it didn't really work very well. Uh, But now they're having a crowdfunder for the Kinect watch, which is going to have it installed by default. So this is a proper open source uh, smartwatch OS, which is pretty niche, fair enough, but I use a smartwatch every day. So I'm reasonably excited about this, not to the point where I'm going to back it again, partially because it's on a French site. I managed to take the FR out of the URL, but uh yeah, it's a French site and it's not doing massively well. It's got 18 days left and it's almost a quarter funded. They're only looking for 26,000 quid, nearly 27. That must be what, 30,000 euros or something, 25,000, I don't know, not good at maths, but it looks good, we need to have an open, a proper open source uh, competitor in this area, I think, I'm well, not need, but it would be good, so I wish it all the best, I take it none of you lot are particularly interested in this.
1: Well, actually, yeah, I'd love one, um, I'm jealous, my wife's got a Fitbit, and all the stuff we can do, it's actually kind of cool. Um, because my other thing that I love is graphs and to be, it's kind of cool to be able to look at stuff where you go, oh, I am really, really, really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it might spur me to not be quite as lazy. I don't know, but I, I'd like the idea that you get notifications on your wrist because I just can't get a phone that I can he- feel. Uh, either the nerves in my leg are dead or irradiated beyond all compare. I don't know, but I, I just don't feel my wa- or my phone moving um so it'd be great to have another way of getting a notification you know have you tried like leaving the speaker on don't be ridiculous <laughs> i know because actually the first time i turned it on the other week i didn't know it was my phone that was ringing i was like oh <laughs> wow that's a really cool ringtone who's got that All <laughs> oh,
2: right, it's me so wait you don't know your ringtone and you don't hear it vibrate yeah okay right fine yeah we'll, we'll...
1: it's pure chance it's the only the fact i look at the damn
2: thing all <laughs> the time i
1: actually
0: notice stuff on it I think you actually need a town crier to follow you around. (laughs) Yeah. But it's interesting you mentioned the Fitbit angle because wearables, apart from Fitbit-type devices, aren't doing well at all, it's fair to say. Even the Apple Watches are doing not as well as they'd hoped. That's because they look terrible. Well, who knows? But I think that if this Kinect watch has got good health tracking stuff, well, it's going to need that to be a success beyond this crowdfunder, basically, because... It's all well and good. I'm not interested in the health stuff. Uh, I'm interested in notifications on my wrist, but most people want the health stuff as well. So that is crucially important to it. So we'll see if it gets made, how it develops, and maybe it will fund development for other existing devices, sort of, you know, lineage style. And then I can actually get something up to date and working that doesn't have Blueborn on my wrist. And
1: uh, also make sure that you can actually store the health information yourself, because opposed to your um, insurance provider demanding your d- data to see how
0: fit you were and how much you lied on your house insurance application. Insurance? We don't have any of that nonsense here. We have the good old NHS <laughs> for now.
1: I uh, know, but life insurance, those crafty bookers are always trying to get out of paying anybody anything when they fall over.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, here's hoping, and good luck to him. but I think they probably shouldn't have done it on a wacky French site. They should have done it on uh, Indiegogo or Kickstarter, but what do I know? Um, all right, well, let's uh, finish up the news with public money, public code. I thought that there were no arguments against this until I spoke to Chris about it uh, yesterday on Linux Action News. So it's the FSFE, the Free Software Foundation Europe, their campaign to bring in EU legislation that means that any public money that's spent on software, that code is open-sourced. It seems like a no-brainer to me, but then national security basically is the only argument against it.
2: Yeah, but how much software is written that controls nuclear warheads or opens bunker doors and crap... Versus the ones that are the database for not the database of the information in it, but like just the background database for holding all your information on the NHS, or you know, however they have the system for logging your driving record, or whatever. You know, it'd be useful if these things were available, so that you could, you know, maybe a, a driving school could then use it for their own bit of work, whatever you. It, it. I agree. There's always going to be a security side, but that's only a small part of what the public, our public money goes to.
1: It would also make things like uh, the NSA hacking code
0: quite hard to do if they had to keep open sourcing it on their GitHub all the time. <laughs>
1: Aww.
0: Ah, but they wouldn't be allowed to put it on GitHub, would they? That's proprietary. That's true. Monsters. <laughs> they could always use Launchpad. Lol. <laughs> God.
1: Or try to restore it from backup from <laughs> uh, what was the other Git guys Git,
0: GitLab? <laughs> yeah. But it's it's we need to get behind this. Quite frankly, it's fucking outrageous that they spend my tax money on proprietary software that doesn't need to be proprietary. And uh, if we were going to be staying in the EU, maybe I'd care a bit more. But as it is, it's definitely not going to happen in the UK, is it?
2: Yeah, like yeah, you going
1: to say types. this is a .eu site. Frankly, we don't like your type round here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, we don't like you either. So as long as it you. comes <laughs> in,
2: no, as long as it comes in with the next. What have we got? A year until Brexit.
0: Yeah, and then it'll be in the, the Henry VIII bill, won't it? Yeah, all their laws will come into our, our laws. <laughs> yeah. We're in danger of turning into Linux Voice here with all this politics bollocks. You're kind of assuming, though, that you
3: own the money after it goes to the government and councils. That's not how tax works. Sorry, but it's not. While it would be nice you know, to say, oh, yeah, we own this, so it should be open, you actually don't, because you're giving your money to them for a deferred purpose. You don't own anything that the government accounts have to do with it. They have to be liable to an extent, but they are there to serve the public interest. People assuming that they own what the governments do. If that was the case, we wouldn't be even arguing about whether the code should be open to be open in the first place. And we would have ownership of our own data and our own lives, but we don't. This is just really sorry, but this is just people, you know, assuming they own things. You, they don't. We should. Right, but then everything else has to change to support this because when your stuff goes to the councils, goes to the governments, they have ownership over it. To them, you're just another number, aren't you? Like not going down that path because that's a conversation I don't want to have. But you relinquish, you know, you relinquish a lot of rights and your rights over property when you're dealing with governments because they're to deal with the stuff that we don't want to deal with. That's why they exist. So I I think this is just more a case of self-entitlement,
1: to be quite honest. I wouldn't mind if they're writing their own code and keeping it public, but when they're forking out money to, you know, nothing against Microsoft, well, sort of, Mm. but, you know, the likes of just keeping all those big companies going or on those big consultancy firms going, it doesn't really help anybody. It does the exact opposite because, you know, if you spend 300 quid on Microsoft Office or whatever it costs, I have no idea, that's, you know, 300 quid that could have been treatment for somebody for god knows what you know and
3: well i have a real simple example think of how many times you've ever gone to like any sort of government building or any council office the waiting system even the waiting system is proprietary software and each one of those has a license to do it each council has a license to do that if stuff like that was open and shared yes it would be great don't get me wrong I'm, i'm behind the idea of it i'm just against the angle of it like this is ours we're entitled that part is wrong but I do think that they should be doing it. They should be free and on. So that's a bit of a conflicting angle, but you can of get where I'm going with that. <laughs> but yeah, then our money wouldn't be wasted. That's more what I've been turning about. Like the angle here is ownership, but yeah.
0: Well, we should own it and we should be entitled to it. If we pay tax, quite no, frankly.
3: no, because you don't own it. Once you give the money to them, that's their money. You know, like the, that tax money there's even a process to get it back. And until that point, you don't own it anymore. They decide if they're going to give it back to you afterwards. It's
0: still theirs. But, 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 they are accountable, or they should be accountable. If you, if you don't want them doing stuff with your money, don't give it to them. Like, it's, it's a
3: catch-22, isn't it? You can't say that they do these things on our behalf.
1: Ike's views are not the views of the other three <laughs> members of the thing who he will now be getting arrested for. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that,
3: I know that, but... Like, this is the whole thing. I've given money away to another thing, which I'm legally required to do, because these are taxes. You're legally required to do this stuff, but that is to support, obviously, the infrastructure of the country. Nothing then says that you own that. You don't own a road. You don't own somebody else, because that's the whole thing about, um, like binmen, people feeling entitled about how they talk to binmen. No, that's another employee who also has to pay tax and is funded by your tax money. Doesn't mean you fucking own them. Like, this is self-entitlement to the maximum yes we should have open shared code but no you don't own it
0: all right well we're not going to agree so uh, let's move on and talk about your tale of woe with regards your package hosting situation which i think is now fixed but you've had a bit of a time of it over the last week or so
3: yeah um because i don't own it
0: <laughs> i won't go down that again um
3: yeah so basically it, it's kind of a story of scaling isn't it um about three times now we've had to upscale solus's infrastructure. And effectively now we just got to the point where we're completely saturated. Like my connection is 100 make, which is probably like the single fastest point in Ireland, I think, at this point. <laughs> but some people have more than me. And I'm getting like two to 300 kilobits second download and this isn't just me this is like all of the souls users are complaining so we've had to start getting clever and it's getting to the point now where we're having to do complicated things like have cdns and multiple networks and multiple mirrors and i am not a sysadmin so for me this is all a bit complicated um got to a point where we can no longer just be you know like uh a single server setup like it's no longer feasible we have to scale horizontally
0: as they like to say (laughs) so what have you done about it so you've you've got a cdn going now then
3: it's getting set up at the moment um talks with some other lovely people and once that's formal you know me i'm just gonna keep talking about it once it's formal um they they'll put a CD in front of it, which effectively just caches everything and then distributes it all around the world instead of just coming from a single point, which it's doing at the moment. And the server we have at the moment, I mean, it's on a one gigabits per second connection. And I'm not gonna go into who they are or anything like that, but basically it's not just because it's saturated. Like we've we've done some tests. The the network on the server's end isn't coping, even though. It hasn't got enough active connections that would really saturate that, do you know what I mean? We're paying like for a premium line. Long story short, we're not getting the service, we're paying for it there. That didn't really go anywhere, so now we're taking the extreme measure of sticking a CDN in front of it, which is kind of like having more laneways in a way. And then that can take all of the load off of the server that we have there at the moment. There's a
0: joke in there somewhere about taking all the load, but let's not do that. <laughs> so, Jesse, you've been using Solus. Have you noticed it being slow and shit when you do your updates? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> no, I, I assumed when you are talking about all of the people complaining, you meant all of your colleagues who are contributing and adding code and doing big pulls and pushes and all that sort of stuff, not your average guy downstream doing updates. It flies through the updates, and it discombobulates the network efficiently and... <laughs> uh, and I've I've not seen a problem. I mean, I'm not I don't have a hundred meg connections, so maybe I'm just, you know, too too slow to see the difference.
3: It's it's kind of dependent on where you are in the world. Sometimes it seems to sort itself out, but then a few minutes later it's completely flaked and it feels a lot like artificial fraudulent sometimes. So the pipeline somewhere is sorely crippled and getting a lot of complaints about it. So within the next couple of days, that should all finally, finally be resolved. Because when you have stuff like that going on, I mean, you can't move fast as a project. You can't deploy stuff fast. If you've got urgent updates to get out and people are taking ages just to download them, you know, it's it's ungood. So once all the changes are in this week for the infrastructure and replacing, because it's not all server problems. Some of it's software as well. Like the scripts we've been managing the repos for, when we first put them in, However, long ago, the repo was so much smaller then. uh it's actually grown. We do have packages um, at the time. The scripts ran really, really fast. So we didn't know that there were really a scaling issue at the time. And now we are all the way down the line and just doing something like a kernel build is setting us back a couple of hours now, which is very, very ungood. good. So that part is software as well as the network. And in another day or two, all of that will be done. And we can move fastly.
2: You're saying that kernel takes a couple of hours now. What, what, What's the difference you've seen? I mean, what was it before?
3: I mean, again, this isn't just the network site. This is like the, the repo site itself taking forever as well, while the software indexes stuff and processes stuff. Uh, before I could have the kernel put in and all of the dependent drivers that like have to build against that kernel, I could have had that all done, say, within about 40 minutes, but now when I do the two kernels, I have to wait for those to finish, and then I'm waiting to do the local builds myself, which is taking a lot longer. I could be anywhere up to about four hours right now.
2: That's all going on on your local network.
3: So that's the software and the network. They're, the both of them are playing off each other and making it a, a lot worse than it needs to be. So it's taking a long time for me to get the software down locally to do the builds, um, for them to turn up on the servers. And then on top of having the network problems, the script that's in place at the moment is also shit. <laughs> so that's slowing it down even more, uh, to the point now it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but. In the next couple of days, assuming Murphy doesn't strike again, because this was supposed to be finished this weekend, Murphy struck, and then I managed to break Golang. Um, all of this should be fixed. We'll have fast repos on the server side and the network side itself, and we will be able to go a lot, a lot faster, like several hundred percent faster than we're going now. And then onboard people from the community as well, like we're upscaling everything. <laughs> like you're not just gonna do one part, but upscaling all of it. So we're gonna have more people on board as well. So like the package server at that point is just not gonna stop. It's gonna be updates, 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 updates. It's gonna be awesome.
0: It sounds like growing pains and coming of age
3: and It is a bit because you make like these naive decisions earlier on, like I should have known ahead of time that it was gonna grow to a point where I probably need a CDM. Or I should have tested the scaling of the scripts back then to be able to deal with a very large repository, not like what it was then, but you learn these as you go along. And then you have to build everything else to be like equally scalable in future. So I'm hoping this is the last big upscale we've got to do for a while. And I want it done in a way where we can just like plug more mirrors into the network and then get people to switch the mirrors in the software center. We put out an update so that they can just switch, use like GOIP to find the
0: local one and that sort of stuff. And so are you looking for donations of mirrors from universities and stuff then? I will not say no, actually. Um, The the strange thing
3: is we, we was going for a lot more bandwidth than we actually thought. Like right now we're going through over 20 terabytes a month on the package server. Which, when you think about the smaller repo size, the fact that we're using Delta packages and everything is compressed with XZ level 6, you know, I mean, the whole repo itself, including the unstable and stable side of it, including hard linking, a lot of deduplication, is 107 gigabytes, right? That's the entire repo size. And we're going for over 20 terabytes a month. Are you sure it is? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I did like D-U-H on there. So like, <laughs> did, yeah, I definitely check. So that's... Why's my LS come on? 10 gigs big. <laughs> yeah, what the hell's <laughs> happened there? Um Yeah, so any mirrors, like any open source friendly mirrors who want to help us out, like, yeah, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> and then we can plug it into like a big list so you can do it in the software center. Running off of one mirror really isn't viable. And... It was when we it was when we started ages ago, but then that's sort of more applicable to derivative projects that, you know, they're already picking up piggybacking off another infrastructure. We've got to do what like Debian and Art and Ubuntu and everyone has already done before us, and now we're starting to build that first network. So it's exciting and stressful times.
0: Doesn't reproducibility come into play then if you're looking at mirrors? Yes and no. Um, so. We've actually had a lot of
3: reproducible builds for a long time in Solus. We just didn't make a big thing about it. Uh, The build tools have already supported that for a long time, and they'll use fixed timestamps from the Git log to do that. There are some places it can get better, like when we go to the new GCC. Um, But I think in terms of establishing a mirror's identity, I guess that's important. And once we replace EO package with Sol, which I don't think I'm going to use that name anymore. Like I wanted to use "soul" because it was short for Solos, right? But it also means shit out of luck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's S-O-L. not
3: really what you want to call your package manager. Well, right now it's very feasible, right? Oh yeah, it's it's apt almost. Ooh, um, clever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, GPG signatures on the indexes is probably what we're going to do going forward. But the, the way it's been so far, we've had the central mirror and that's always been SSL with our own search coming from us and using HSTS. So it hasn't really been a problem until now. But yeah, verifying that you're actually using a legit mirror is probably saying, which is why I want the mirror list centralized in the software center and not just some random thing that you go grab from a wiki and it's like, add these lines to ETC, at list these. Yeah,
0: yeah well, it sounds like you're on top of it at last, because it's been dragging on a bit, this problem, hasn't it? So, yeah, uh, it's been going on
3: for a while, and it's it's kind of depressing. But once you get out of it, then you can move fast.
0: And while we're in this brief solace thing, uh, you had this hackfest for Budgie uh, <laughs> 11. How did that go?
3: We called it the 11th Budgie, which is a really, really sad reference to Doctor Who. Um, yeah, I named it that. <laughs>
0: I don't watch
1: children's shows, so I don't get that. Pope B is pounding a letter right now. Complaining about you calling it a children's show.
3: It is not a children's show. It is a sophisticated thinking (laughs) minds program for the man of today and woman or whatever. It's fine. It's for all of us. It's not for children. But if they want to watch and learn about adult life, they can. Anyway, bitch. Anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, we did this Hackfest on, I believe it was Saturday, but I'm completely out of it with time zones and shit at the moment um that ran for like 5 seconds short of 7 hours and yeah so basically it's just me live streaming like you got my ugly mug up in the top corner and me just working away on Budgie 11 which is gonna be the one that's in queue and running away very very rapidly from GTK and GNOME stuff
0: um because reasons no offence but who in their right mind would sit and watch you code um (sighs) Just code, probably not, but I mean, it
3: was, I was on there, Brian was on there, Josh was on there. So we was all like chatting over Discord as well, and you could switch between the free camera views at the same time, and mostly just messing about at the same time. Lots of swearing, lots of me fucking up, lots of me wanting to break things, and actually breaking things, but some progress as well, and decided to actually drop QML. I know I said before that I was liking Uh but have redropped QML again, heathen. In favor of what? In in favor of just uh, cute widgets, like the the core widgets. So, ah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, when I done my first benchmarks and that, and it was looking really good. It was using less less resources than the Budgie panel. But once I started doing more stuff with it and make sure everything uses the same QML engine, it started using twice as much memory as the Budgie panel doing nothing. So it's like fuck this uh dropped it and to be fair i was I was hitting a lot of blocks with it. that that q quick stuff is what they're using in uh underneath of that was it kirigami yeah the the weird plasma thing but they use uh qml underneath that and they've had to create their own widgets and their own containers and everything on top of it because q quick 2 is designed very well q quick controls too is designed just for phones like everything about it is clearly designed for phones and honestly, it's not appropriate for any form of desktop application if you want to have anything like native widgets. And obviously, I'm not building a desktop application, but there are going to be certain desktop type things I'm trying to do. And it was too much of a pain in the ass, and then there was weight on top of it. And the fact that it's JavaScript inside, and I just got stressed out with it on the live stream, so we just kicked it out and started doing things normal to keep widgets and actually made a lot of progress at that point, to the point we've actually now got a we got the very beginnings of an applet API
1: already in place, which is kind of cool. Look, when you want to get from one version of Budgie to the next, you do indeed need a montage. Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, our description says something about IKEA being told to shut up about Solus, so uh, shut up about Solus. Um, All right. So this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. And Entroware are a dedicated Linux computer seller based in the U.K., And they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 16.04 and 17.04. And they are a company who actually care about Linux. They've got all sorts of Linux laptops and a couple of desktops and a server. And their laptops range from fairly low spec, affordable ones, right the way up to really beefy ones with uh, dedicated graphics. And so they're basically suitable for anyone who wants to run Linux, whether it's just a bit of email and web browsing all the way through to 3D art and video editing and machine learning and graphic design, that kind of thing. And they ship to the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And I'm sitting here recording this on an entryway laptop that I'm really happy with. And I'm sure if you buy one, you will be too. And if you do buy one, mention us at checkout. There's a box you can put Late Night Linux in and then they'll know we sent you. So check out introware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So onto a bit of admin then and thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. Very much appreciated. And if you want to join them you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And there are a few other ways as well. There's Bitcoin and stuff. We had one of those recently so thank you very much. Um I asked a few episodes ago for ideas for Patreon perks that you might want, because at the moment, we don't have any, we don't have any paywalls or anything like that. It's free if you want it, or you can contribute. And it's really appreciated if you do. But if you've got any ideas for what might make you support us if you do, or feel like you would like to have if you do, I don't know. We're just unoriginal and unimaginative, we can't think of anything to put on there. So if you can, then do get in contact with us late nightlinux.com slash contact for all the ways to get in touch with email and telegram group and twitter and all that kind of thing so all software has bugs but I ask the question should it I don't accept this I am not a coder you know I'm not a programmer I don't know how to write software right I know how to do a few things and when I do it I don't fuck it up generally speaking Occasionally i fuck it up, okay, but I don't accept that I'm going to fuck it up as a matter of course, whereas it seems that software is just accepted. There is an accepted axiom that it's going to be shit, it's going to need patching because of mistakes that people have made. Now, I put it to you that that's bullshit. We should not have that situation. People should spend a bit more time testing their code and getting better at writing it in the first place and we shouldn't have bugs, or certainly nowhere near as many bugs as we have. And I get the feeling you're now about to argue against that. Just a tad.
1: <laughs> right, me first, and then you can come in to finish them. Go on. Do you use anything outside of what you intended to do for? Like, do you open a cupboard with your TV remote control by throwing it at it? No. Do you do anything outside the normal? Because every piece of software isn't used the way it was generally designed to be used. I am pretty sure somebody does something with it, puts it on something it wasn't designed to be run on. The myriad of bloody machines there are, conditions, other conflicting software... It's just impossible to write that perfectly. You just can't.
2: Well, hang on a minute, right? So this the, the Bluetooth bug that Joe mentioned earlier in the in the show that's affecting Android devices at the moment, that is a Bluetooth bit of hardware which is in phones, Android which is written for phones to use that Bluetooth device, and there's a bug in it.
1: It's talking to unenviable amounts of shitey bits of kit that people don't want to pay money for. They want to pay the cheapest price for the crappest gear, and they want it to be looking the best. And they don't care what the software is, they don't pay for that. But you've got so many different bits of software stack talking to each other. There's no chance in hell that any of it's going to be
2: bug-free. It just isn't. You're saying there's too much?
1: No, I'm just saying that if people want things to be easy, you need more code. I mean, I'm pretty sure the code they wrote on those fucking mainframes, they had to literally plug in fucking wires and screw thermionic (laughs) diodes in, was pretty fucking flawless until actual moths crawled into the fucking machine and we got actual bugs in it. (laughs) But if you want things to be fucking usable so you can fucking scratch your arse, drive your car, and then also pick what music track you want to do, there's not a fucking hope in hell that that thing is going to not have a bug in it because you want it to be easy and touchy and ooh. (laughs) Frankly, make things harder, and there will be less bugs.
2: I, I I still don't entirely. I mean, I wasn't entirely on Joe's side to start with, but you're making me more on Joe's side. So good. (laughs) Oh God!
1: (laughs) Right, you're an engineer, right? Has steel changed massively in the last a thousand years?
2: Alright. Ignoring, you know, stainless and high tensile strength, all that kind of stuff, yeah. Like Yeah, no, but in
1: principle, it bends, it shatters, it stretches. It doesn't do yeah. other
2: stuff. But the point is, is that you can make very complicated bridges with the basic building blocks of steel, and you have you have something way more complicated than just a block of steel. But it still works because someone's. This
1: is a bad example. It's fucking easy though. It's, it's a fucking bridge. It's a flat platform (laughs) suspended across a gap. You remember the Millennium Bridge, don't you? Uh, I do remember the
3: Millennium Bridge. Want to talk yeah. about bugs in engineering? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they built a bridge and people go across it. That was great. And then something happened that nobody expected. People naturally get into a lockstep as they're going across and it started to stress the bridge too much because it wasn't designed with that use case in mind.
0: Yes, because whoever designed it was a fucking idiot. No,
3: they couldn't have possibly known that. They didn't know that because it was the first time it had happened.
1: That's why it had that bug. I guess you've never seen a leaking pipe in a house either. I mean, that is a fucking tube that passes water. (laughs) Look, anything that's ever manufactured
3: is not perfect. If you look at anything you've ever bought, there is always a manufacturing defect, no matter how subtle it is. There is no perfect thing that has ever been built. Even with 3D printing, you cannot possibly make something perfectly. And then when you want different unrelated systems to link into each other, if you've got 70 people shouting in a room one guy is going to get lost in there one guy isn't going to have his voice heard and that's basically what it's about can you design things so they're going to be bug free you can try as much as you can the fact is the processes change over time how going back to how we do steel how we've built things with steel and how we made steel ready that's changed steel itself hasn't but how we've done that has changed and as we learn things we don't do those things anymore Look at where the industry is now with programming languages, right? Years ago, there was a certain way of doing things, and programming languages were at a certain level. A lot of the bugs that you hear about nowadays, it's simply some really, really old code that everyone's been relying on and ignoring for the last 10 odd years or more. But if you was to write it today, it wouldn't necessarily be written the same. It's using old practices and how the industry was then. Once we learn these things, we don't do them in future, so the industry evolves and we're less prone to make the same mistakes again. But you have to make mistakes to learn from them. And yes, okay, there is the flip side of that. Some software is just really shit, and some people shouldn't write code, but some people shouldn't be carpenters.
1: And also, it's one of those days of, you know, back in the old days, you could be really good at physics. I think pretty sure I heard Ack make this point fucking ages ago. You could be really good at physics by doing a bit of study for a couple of weeks, and ta-da, you're up to scratch. Whereas now, you know you can do an entire PhD spent on progressing it forward by, you know, tiny, tiny amounts. Well, coding, if you step in and you're going to just, oh yeah, oh I'm going to wade in to do a bit of kernel code here. What experience do I have? None. Let's get going. You know, it's like you can do it. You probably shouldn't. But if you do get good, it's only by like decades probably of learning that you're going to be anyway decent. And
3: you do start to specialize in certain areas, because there was a time when computers were a lot simpler. And I think that's why people enjoy writing things like emulators, because to them, it's more of a perfect system, at least how I interpret it. It's more of a perfect system, there's there are less moving parts, and you have to do more to get exactly what you want out of it. I mean, look, look at the, the pioneering processes they had in place for Mario and Sonic, the sort of things they had to push these systems to do. But now, they're so, so complicated, they're unbelievably complicated, where any random set of circumstances can lead to something happening in your program. There's too many moving parts. I don't think you can account for all of them. And then if you take all of that aside, it's how do people use your software? So to give an example, say like uh with Budgie, some of the bug reports I get, which people genuinely believe are bugs, they report to me that I can't use this key combination to change my input language. And then I'll tell them, no, it's super in space. Yeah, but on Windows, I use control and blah, blah, blah. Some arcane situations it's like, okay, but that's not the same software. We're not going to do that. Your stuff is shit. This is a bug. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, well, obviously that that's bollocks, but... Well, no, but that's what a lot of bug reports are like. People misunderstanding that something out of the scope or something that isn't intended as a feature or a use case that isn't supported, they believe it's a bug because it's not there. Not that it's not wanting to be supported or that's not what it's designed for. I think for a lot of people, they do misunderstand what really constitutes a bug. A bug is literally doing something wrong with the you know you've got an expected outcome and it doesn't do that that's what really a bug is and those do exist by their droves don't get me wrong
0: but it's just this attitude it's this attitude that i think comes about because of software churn right because developers gonna develop so instead of for example gnome 2 right i hate to use that example no i love to use (laughs) that example right gnome 2 was basically finished right as marty and still shit But anyway. Uh, Well, whatever, KDE lover. But Gnome (laughs) 2 was in pretty good shape, right? And Disagree. And okay, the Mate team have taken that code and progressed it, but why do we need to constantly have innovation is is my question. Because of users. Because nobody wants to have the same thing.
1: Your project will be dead and nobody on it. I mean, if you want to go for you know say the leading tower of pisa is a prime architectural example of how things are never finished until <laughs> that thing sinks pretty much all the way down into the ground they're going to still keep adding weight alternately in different sides to the balance the damn thing out i mean
0: it's a fucking tower just build it or knock it down and rebuild it i, I had a good response to you for a second there when you said like people want change and all the rest of it and i'm like no i i want- XFCE that just never changes and does exactly what I want. Only you and five other people who write XFCE want no change in software.
2: All right, ignoring ignoring Joe's very unique point, which I think is the right point, because look at Windows. When Windows moved over to Windows 8 and did something new and shiny, everyone threw their laptops down the drain and just walked away, and they had to go back to doing the standard thing. So you can't tell me that the thousands and thousands of people that use Microsoft Windows don't want something to be standard and the way it was.
1: No, they do. They want it to change, but they want it to be nice when it's changed. Metro was terrible. I mean, Windows 10 is different than Windows 7. It's different than XP. It's different than 2000. And it's most definitely different to Windows 3.1 for work groups. Or 3.11 before anybody fucking types in. Jesus. <laughs> um, so, you know people do want change. They don't want to sit there looking, look because they'll see someone else who has something different. Unless you ban all companies from changing their code, people are going to look at something else and go, oh, I want that. So is this still about bugs or
3: hiding our heads in the sand from change?
2: If, if we're back to the bugs thing, I, I think that you made the point, Ike, there that you know you had the old C code that may maybe been used for ages and I, I would argue that that C code was either written to do one thing specifically, and if a bug was found years later, then Joe's point still exists. It should have been written better in the first place and and the too the too many moving parts the the changes the new the new coding um, parameters that come out it does sound like it's very much standing on the shoulders. And you know, if you use a very low-level language compared to languages which are um, further and further away, you end up just assuming that things further down the stack are working nicely without really knowing quite how it's going. Which, which was your point, Ike, about the about the um, emulators and things. You know, it's very pure bit of coding. So I wonder whether it is there's there's this standing on the shoulders of giants and just assuming that these are the shortcuts that are, are are available to me by using that code. I don't
1: think you can ever possibly know all of the libraries that are out there and read them all. I mean, you've got to, at some point, expect someone else knows what they're doing, or if they're not, they're going to look after it. Like, I wouldn't touch anything to do with secure uh, connections and stuff like that, because that's fairly decent levels of maths, you know? I mean, it's not rocket science, but geez, it's something I'm never going
0: to touch. Yeah, never roll your own crypto is the role, is exactly. it?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to have to leave that to someone else to do. But, you know, that's also assuming that those people are infallible and nobody is infallible, so they're not going to be able to write perfect code. Or they wrote the perfect code and then a new compiler comes along because it's on a new processor, and it's going to have a bug in the hardware, you know? Which has been known to happen.
0: Well, okay, can I put another controversial point forward? Not everyone who writes code should write code as far as I'm concerned. I think that's fair to a point, yeah. Okay, they can write code, but
3: perhaps not deploy it and sell it as a viable project with its own GitHub page and logo and branding. We all know what I mean.
0: <laughs> it's It just seems to me that uh, maybe it's easier with FOSS, I don't know, but the barrier to entry is pretty low, especially with Python and stuff. And stop
1: ragging on bloody python for god's sake (laughs)
0: no no all i'm just saying is python is quite easy to to get started with and then people get carried away and without the proper experience um think that they are a coder now, I'm a programmer, when in reality there's someone who is dabbling with it. He,
1: he, no, no, wait. Joe goes around smashing up copies of Cubase in the shop just so people don't think they're musicians, i say, as well. Yeah, not everyone <laughs> who plays music should
0: fucking play music. Don't get me started Ah, on but that. now
1: you're taking away their freedom to play music if they wish to.
0: Right. They can play it in their flat like I do, but, you know, it, playing it publicly, uh, well, anyway. That, you don't that's have to art, listen. That's different. Yeah, and you don't have to use their software, of course. But it just, it seems to me that because anyone is free to do it, it sort of lowers the standards and it sort of brings in this expectation that there's going to be bugs. Whereas if the people writing code were all experienced and knew what they were doing, then we would have far fewer bugs and there would be less of an expectation that you're going to have bugs in everything and just everything's going to need to be patched down the line at some
3: point. But, but right let me ask you the question if you have to
0: be experienced to write code how do you get experience well that's the catch-22 of life ike
3: no that's the catch-22 of 60s life in the world where you weren't allowed to progress that it just doesn't apply anymore but nowadays we're a lot luckier because we have all the mistakes of humanity behind us already and a few more to make don't get me wrong that we have stuff now that you didn't use to have 10, 20 years ago. We have tools for static analysis. We have tools that looks at software and says, you're a dickhead, fix it, right? Which people should use. But I think if you design, well, if you build software with the right mindset, it doesn't really matter how experienced you are because... You're going to make those mistakes. You're going to have things tell you these are wrong. You shouldn't take the easy path. You should be doing things like having test suites if you can, if it's possible, and using all the tooling to your advantage because this is tooling that's compounded on the mistakes of everyone else. And it can look at your code and tell you if you're doing things wrong, if you're doing things by the book. Python makes it very easy to do that. Um, so use your Python as an example, right? Yes, anyone can get into it. But if people who are taking up programming decided to make life a little tiny bit harder for themselves and use things like flakes and pep to make sure that their code is actually consistent with the language guidelines, they would get a lot further on. It would promote clean programming practices and they would be able to spot their own bugs a lot easier. That's the same as like if you're picking up C. Don't just start following the online documentation which says, just use GCC and point it at the c file. No, turn all of the fucking warnings on. It's going to make it take a little bit longer for you to learn, but you're not going to want to sit there with your code emitting fuckloads of compiler warnings. You're going to fix them. And that's your first guard before you even get your code out to the public world. Also, don't use Valor. <laughs> <laughs> There's
2: are solid arguments. And I, you know, having dabbled in some code, I, I know all those warnings. You can normally ignore them or do it properly. And, and you're more likely to get into, into good habits, is maybe mm. the sort of fundamentals of what you're talking about. But I wonder whether there is, like, that. that's just making sure the code is uh, elegantly written, but you can still mm. write, you know, fundamental flaws into it. And do we need better QA procedures? Or like, if there was a, a QA server that you could throw your code at and say, churn through that and find if there's known uh, errors and bugs and vagrants in there that we can pull out.
1: <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is this the coding QA software that has clearly been written by God himself and is flawless. <laughs> yeah.
3: Therefore, there's no flaws in it. Well, you saying that, so, I mean, when it comes to the security aspect, so that's a different angle entirely. There's... There's a usability break in, which is going to be someone saying something like, uh I opened a, a thousand five well, no, one bug I genuinely had before, someone told me. At a previous employment opportunity, we shall say. Um, I opened a hundred and all of this windows on my machine and it became unresponsive. <laughs> you think right? I had like two gigs of RAM or something. You fucking think, right? So You'd want to avoid that side, but there are now fuzzing services, and this is the the hot stuff right now in the security field,
0: right? Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Fuzzing—that's where that's the solution.
3: Yeah, so fuzzing is what you want to do if you're doing any kind of mess, uh, message handling or input handling. Basically, if the input doesn't come from you, validate it. Right. Anything that's going to come from an external process or a user, treat them as the same. You can't fucking trust that gobshite vampire giving you stuff. Right. Not that I'm calling my users gobshite con- uh, vampires. Right. Mm, you, you, it's like just it to me. Uh, it's just unverified input. So use the fuzzing services that are out there. Try and get your code coverage up. If you can, there's stuff like coveralls.io. Um, you can have like builds on Travis. So every git commit you're making, fucking use git as well, by the way. Make sure your code is on GitHub using git, using good practices. Hook up test suites, hook up all of the free test services. Um, what else is there? There's, um, coverity. If you're using Java or C or C++ every build you're doing, you can have it automated so it scans your code for any known bad pass or vulnerabilities while you're doing it. All this stuff exists now. It didn't exist for the bugs that we're now fixing. So you see you hear about things like uh the the Bluetooth bugs. Well maybe for those. Okay, maybe for those. But like old lip PNG still free type. When those were written, those code fuzzing services, those coverall stuff, none of that existed back then. So, if you have any open source code you're doing or starting on, just start integrating them with all the fucking things and make sure it's always checked. Integrate all the things. I like that. Yeah, and they're all free anyway. Well, they're <laughs> they're they're free in price. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what well, proprietary software that happens to be free as in beer? That's it's not negative great. in the freedom dimension.
3: It sure is. Mm oh that could be your next project set up a free free one
0: (laughs) yes good idea well uh no doubt we'll get lots of comments about that about how wrong you and jesse were yes no everyone will be agreeing with me and saying yes we
3: need and they'll be complaining about me i i am i am a fuck fuck fuck.
0: i can't even word i can't even word
3: i'm just stressed out now i'm just stressed out (laughs) continue without me
0: on that bombshell then we should uh bring it to an end So we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, And in the meantime, then, I've been Joe. I've been Jesse Joe.
1: I've been Jesse Phelan. I've been
0: Jesse Ike. no you were supposed to say Phelan Ike. Anyway, Ah. whatever. (laughs) See you later. (laughs) Salon.